Hello, everybody, and welcome to the American Shoreline Podcast. This is Peter Ravella, co-host of the show. And this is Tyler Buckingham, the other co-host. Tell you, Tyler, beaches are the main subject, I think, of the of almost all of the listeners we've got. Everybody's got some angle on beaches, either personally or professional, professionally. And this is a show dedicated to uh, beaches today. And in particular, a really innovative new effort by the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers through the Engineering Research and Development Center, ERDIC, in Pittsburgh, Mississippi, in collaboration with others, has developed a citizen science program called SANSNAP, which allows the Corps and ERDIC to collect grain size data from beaches around the world. And uh, by engaging regular old Americans and folks around the world, it's a cool pro- program. Very cool program, and what's particularly neat about it is that it it is really the cutting edge of how we are understanding our oceans and coasts, which is that we are modeling now. We're collecting more and more data. So, uh, you know, when we're talking at the uh, Ocean Forum, the Ocean Exploration Forum, we're learning about all these new technologies that are gathering, you know, millions of sensors collecting all of this data, and it's all telemetry, you know, connected to satellites and goes into the cloud well for our coastal geologists and our coastal scientists we they rely on data of grain size heavily it's yeah. it's just as important or maybe i won't say that we'll leave that to the guests today but it's a very important factor along with you know yeah. the topography of the beach the bathymetry bathymetry the of the beach. climate but i mean yeah. we're talking about physics here of millions and bajillions of little particles I mean, this is cool stuff. And you got to know the size of them to model how they might behave. Yeah. And, of course, that changes everywhere you go. Every beach you go has a unique, like, fingerprint grain size. Yeah. So this is going to potentially really help us understand our coasts. And we've got two killer guests today, Peter, to walk us through it. We do. we got a couple of people who very, uh, very much part of the formation of SandSnap, uh, the program, the data collection program that the uh, that Erdic has developed. Um, joining us today on the American Shoreline podcast, Dr. Brian McFall and Dr. Shelley Whitmire from James Madison University. Uh, Brian is a uh, research civil engineer, specialist in coastal engineering, of course, and operates out of Erdic in Vicksburg, Mississippi. And uh, Shelley Whitmire with James Madison University. She's an assistant professor, a geology by scientific geologist by scientific background, and uh, teaches at James Madison University in Virginia, who were instrumental in the formation and development of uh, SANSNAP. Absolutely. I'm really looking forward to this one, Peter. But first, a quick word from our sponsors. The American Shoreline Podcast Network and Coastal News Today are brought to you by Geodynamics, an NV5 company specializing in providing accurate surveys of complex coastal environments worldwide. Driven by marine geology, coastal science, and remote sensing, our researchers use the latest technology to provide meticulous data products to support our clients and answer their toughest Questions. Geodynamics carefully designs and executes a variety of hydrographic, geophysical, sub-bottom, and near-shore surveys using our fleet of customized vessels and sensor configuration. You can find us at nv5geospatial.com. Geodynamics, delivering solutions, improving lives. 
be sure to subscribe to the Coastal News Today Daily Blast newsletter for our latest updates from around the American shoreline. Like what you're hearing and want to support the network? Sponsorship packages are now available. Go to coastalnewstoday.com slash advertising to learn more. Well, Dr. McFall and Dr. Whitmire, thank you very much for joining us on the American Shoreline podcast to tell our listeners about this amazing new program you guys have developed. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you, Peter and Tyler. I'm a big fan of the show and the podcast. Oh, great. You know, we love the, we love the Arctic community of research scientists and engineers down in Vicksburg. You all play such an instrumental role in understanding the American Shoreline and how to manage it better. And... Uh, this project, I have to say, uh, Dr. McFall, if you could introduce us broadly to SandSnap, when did this start and how did it start? Sure. Uh, that's a great question. So it started when I was working on the uh, International Natural and Nature-Based Features Guidelines, which uh, is an initiative by the Corps of Engineers, led by the Corps of Engineers, but it, it had more than 73 different authors from around the country. And we were working on, I was working in particular on, a, on the chapter on beaches and dunes. And during this project, we decided it would really be nice to expand upon the, the Weagle figure that, uh, that describes the relationship between grain size and beach slope and uh, wave exposure. And we wanted to expand it to, to additional locations. And what I did was I, I sent out a, a post on the Coastalist uh, web server. And I said, does anyone have any additional information about beach slope and grain size? And here's the initiative that, I, that I'm trying to compile it for. And I got a lot of emails that came back in. And one of them came from Shelly Whitmire from James Madison University. And she said, well, Brian, uh, I don't think my idea will directly apply to this idea that you're working on right now, right now for this project. But I do think in the long term, I think we could potentially engage citizen scientists to collect grain size information. And that kind of <laughs> led to uh, an, an, another meeting and a phone call and then subsequent meetings. And then I proposed this to, to some of our research programs, uh, initially to the Coastal Inlet Research Program. And I said, you know, this is a high risk, high reward topic. It would be really interesting if we could develop a method that would actually work. So if step one was to even figure out what can you get, what kind of grain size accuracy can you get from your cell phone uh, using a coin for scale. And Shelly actually had the, the overall layout of how it would work. She had it already kind of pre-planned. A person could have a coin and place the coin and snap a picture of it and then we would turn around and get the grain size from it. So that's that's kind of the initiation of it. Shelly, since, since it was originally your idea, is there any historical facts that, that you recall that, that I didn't get to expand upon? Yeah, I think Brian's right about most of the details. Um, I think the other thing to point out, though, is the only reason I had that idea is I just finished reading um, a paper from Dan Bascom where he was describing um, how he was taking an algorithm called SETINET at the time and using it to analyze the images to find out what the grain size was. Um, and I think what I was able to put together was if Dan could do this from an image, and my interest has always been getting science out to the general public, and I know the general public has their smartphones and can take pictures, is there a way we could kind of link them together there? Well, I mean, I, I, first of all, I love the idea, but how did you, I mean, I, I've got so many questions. But I'll begin with the, the, the notion that you could capture grain size with the coin. How does that work? I mean, I realize uh, you have scale, which is important. 
but I imagine you're looking at a bunch of different grain sizes on the screen. How, how, how does that technology work? Well, it's really, it's not easy. Uh, it's complicated because there's a lot of um, little things that come up. Like we've had to deal with, um, you know, what happens if the sand is wet or the sand is dry? What happens if there's shells? What happens if there's shadows on the grains that kind of make some grains look smaller than others? Uh, what happens if the grains are actually, you know, overlapping so they might look smaller? So it is not an easy thing to do. Um, but Brian, why don't you tell us about some of the uh, sort of paths we've taken to improve this? Sure. So right off the bat, the first thing we did was we tested a few different techniques. We, we tested one method was uh, using edge detection techniques. And the coin itself is always explicitly there just to give us a scale to, to, and because we needed something small enough that we could fit into a, the, the view of a camera. But it was also small enough and something that most people would have handy, handy to actually go out on the beach with. So one of the techniques we tried was edge detection. Another technique we, uh, we tried was, uh, was a wavelet analysis technique. So if you were to take a, a string of image intensity from a row of pixels from an image, it creates almost like a wave signal. And mm -hmm. a lot of us coastal engineers are very familiar with processing wave signals. And from that, you could turn around and determine grain size based off of that. And then the, the third and final way that we tested was using uh, it's a deep learning neural network called Sedinet uh, that, uh, that Shelly had mentioned. It was developed by Dan Buscombe. And originally when we started, we, we tried just the first two techniques, the edge detection and the wavelet analysis. And the wavelet analysis was also developed by uh, Dan Buscombe. And our error was on the, on the order of around 35%. Hmm. And we thought, you know, that's, that's a little bit too much error for us to to really want to expand upon this. So we reached out to Dan Buscombe just to say, you know, here's the method that we use and here's how the, the results that we got. Is there anything that we could have done differently before we published this? And he looked at it and he said, yeah, your results, you know, he gave us a couple little pointers, but the results didn't improve significantly. But he said, you know, I'm developing the Sedinet model and this is really, I think, the way you need to go. And he took all of our data and he processed it and the deep learning neural network came out to be a much better, uh, much lower error compared to the other techniques. And we said, okay, well, this is, this is going to be our path forward. The catch with using a deep learning neural network as opposed to using the edge detection or the wavelet analysis is that for deep learning neural networks, you have to have data to train on. And that led to a whole other suite of uh, work for us on this project because, okay, now we need to engage somebody to go out and collect images, but then also collect physical samples. So we had our small team of uh, some Erdic researchers uh, specifically, uh, David Young from uh, Erdic and Shelley Whitmire, myself, and Dan Buscone were kind of the, the original small team of, of SandSnap. And uh, we engaged, basically, most of us know coastal professors that are going out and doing field work already. And to this point, we've engaged more than 30 uh, universities to go out whenever they're doing field work already to go ahead and take a, a picture and collect a physical sample. And from that, we've uh, assembled nearly 200 physical samples that we can train our model on and they're, they're continually still flowing in. So I can't tell you an exact number of how many it's going to be, but as these model, as these samples come in, we sieve them. So we actually have the true grain size. We have the image analysis and we train the deep learning neural network uh, on that. So the error that we have today may not be the error we have in three months when we retrain, we expect it to continually improve and get better. Wow. Additionally, it's, a lot of the different things, uh, technically, that, that you had mentioned uh, issues that we may have, 
we we had to work around and figure out ways to detect, you know, is this image blurry? That, that was a real common error that we had or shadows and things like that. Uh, the way we work around it is we sub-window the actual image itself and we put it sub-window into small 1024 by 1024 pixel squares. And with that, we process each individual sub-window. Hmm. And that way, if there's a shadow in one or there's a, a big shell or, or some foreign debris in the in the one of the sub windows, hopefully it won't be in all of them. And we can take a, the grain size from the median value and say, okay, this is what we believe to be the true grain size for this image itself. So with that, one of the, the limitations of SandSnap is it's explicitly designed for sand. We can't apply it to mixed beaches or cobble. That's a, a common thing a lot of people say, mm-hmm. oh, you're working on beaches. Well, I'm going to a really interesting cobble beach. You probably want a, a picture of that. But logistically, if you only see part of a cobble, you can't determine, you know, how representative is that of the entire beach. Cobble, cobble snap is coming soon. It's a whole <laughs> yeah, nother program. Snap, it's <laughs> well, the, the deep learning neural network can be used on, on cobble and other techniques, but uh, the, the window size, we just can't get it big enough and also have a scale representative of it. So we're focusing on sand snap or on sand to actually collect the, the, the actual grain size from there. Another interesting fact is that we're using the deep learning neural network. We're not just producing a, a D50. Here's a median grain size. Instead, we're actually given a range of grain sizes, uh, the full gradation. And with that, we, we've trained the model on a range of gradations. So you can actually apply that in more ways than you could just a simple median grain size. Can I ask a question here, Brian? Um, Absolutely. This is, this is a beach question. This is just a nerd question. What, what is, I mean, I, I, I've never studied sand, <laughs> but if you were to just take a scoop of sand and look at it under a microscope, how uniform is it? Like, what, what is sand like when you really zoom in and, and study it? Well, it depends on where you're, you're getting the sand from. Some, some areas are more well-sorted than others, um, but if you're, you have poorly sorted sand, and obviously we're all probably familiar with the fact that the grain size along the beach changes dramatically from the swash zone, which may be 300 times larger than the, the sand grain size on the dunes. So along the cross shore profile, you're going to get a large uh, array uh, of what the grain size actually is. So in our little model or in our input, when somebody takes a picture and they upload it to our tool, they have to pick, you know, are you in the dune? Are you on the berm? Or are you in the swash zone? And Shelly actually came up with some real clever ways to explain it so that, you know, grandma walking on the walking her dog on the beach can actually understand what this means. You know, are, are you at the dunes? This is the big sand hill at the back of a beach. Are you on the berm? This is where you typically lay your, your beach towel. And, you know, so she, she made it really intuitive so that most people could look at it and say, OK, I know what a, I, I may not understand the word beach berm, but I understand that I'm standing where I lay my beach towel. So that's what I'm going to mark. So that's a. Uh, that's that's how we're we're kind of capturing the cross shore position of where the samples are taken. Let's 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 go up a little bit to thirty thousand feet. So, what this project is all about is to try to use citizens to collect data about the grain sizes of beaches around the world, and the idea is to take a photograph of the beach with a quarter. I think the coin you're using as a reference size is at twenty five cents a quarter. And tell us, so they take a photograph and they upload it to your website. There's an entry point where folks can upload their photograph and, and include it in the, into the database. And it looks like as of today, there's been 603 samples of beach sand from really a, the map of the sample sites is really worldwide, mostly in the United States. Um, 
tell us how that tell us about how to take the picture. I mean, we all have these phones, but how close do you need to be? What's the guidance? How do you how do you actually execute as a citizen science? Uh, Shelley, if you wouldn't mind, as a citizen science scientist, what should these people do? How do they actually execute the strategy that you're? Yeah, that's a great question because our project really. Um, without people contributing, right, it's nothing. So we're dependent on everybody adding these samples. We hope that we've really made it easy for them. So it's it's not a big time sink. Once you know how to do it, it wouldn't take you more than 30 seconds. Um, but well, what you quick. do need is your phone and you also need a coin. It can be any U.S. coin at this oh, point. Okay. We can detect uh, different types of coins. All right. um, and when you go out to the beach, you want to do... Find a place that's kind of flat, um, put your coin down. Some things you need to be careful of, uh, getting as close to, as you can to the sand. So usually we're looking at, you know, about six inches up off the sand, so it's pretty close. Um, other things we found work are important to think about is holding your phone horizontally, right? So it's not kind of tilted because right. that could elongate, um, you know, the sand grains in one direction or two another. hands, two um, hand job. We on do that have one. a filter for that too. So we look at how circular the coin is, as opposed to how elliptical it is. So we can check hmm. for some of that error too. Um, and then just, you take the picture um, at that point, you know, if you're on our website, there is a place to upload it. And um, when you do upload it, it's going to automatically take the latitude and longitude from your phone. So we know where that is. Uh, it will ask you some basic questions that help us quality check things. Um, for instance, Brian mentioned, you know, that we could ask where on the beach you were taking it, whether it was the swash, the berm, or the dune. So that's an option. Um, we also ask which coin it is. So we know which coin, you know, how big each coin is. So we scale it appropriately. Mm -hmm. And there are... Um, some other things like address. So, you know, if you're working in Texas, we are taking the latitude and longitude. Um, but just in case something's wrong with that, you might put in, you know, a Texas address. And we, we see it coming up in Ohio. We can filter that out and figure something went wrong there. Um, so, you know, we do have ways to quality check the data that comes in. Um, but after that, with your phone, you just hit submit and it should go up. Um, the image goes into a server where it's going to be processed. And, you know, within a minute or so, uh, you should be able to check the website and see the results. Wow. Wow. It takes a minute. That's awesome. Wow. That's so cool. One minute. I'm going to do, do this. Think there's any, things, any important steps I missed there? Well, I, I think uh, our, our original goal was one minute. I think depending yeah. on how quickly the server is running and whether anyone else is actually on it, sometimes it takes up to two minutes, but it responds back to the user within two minutes. And that it also responds incredible. back with, here's your grain size, and here's a fun fact about another famous beach in the world that has a similar grain size. Oh. And here's a link to it. So it tries to engage, you know, it's hard to get people excited about, here's your sand grain size and your median D50 has increased. Right. People don't get too excited about that. But maybe if you can say, well, you know, this, this beach is actually similar to the grain size that was on the beach where they filmed Jaws. Well, and here's a link about that. You know, it's, it's a yeah, another way that we context. try and engage the, anybody to, to where they might find it a little bit more interesting and uh, more likely to contribute more uh, samples. Okay, so here we are. Yeah, you know, I think another important thing about this project is that 
um, through the website and the database, not only do you have access to your sample that you just looked at, um, but you do have access to all of the samples that are collected. So, you know, if you want to know how your sample fits in a regional setting or maybe how an Atlantic coast sample compares to the Gulf Coast, you have all that data that you can look at there. It's fantastic. And for the folks out there, I guess you can Google up SandSnap, but because I don't, it, is, there, is there an easy web address for this or for folks who want to participate? I think it looks a little bit long, but... The, the easiest way is to Google SandSnap, and SandSnap is one word, and it's the ArcGIS uh, website. There's also, I think usually the second thing that pops up is the Coastal Inlet Research Program, and it talks about SandSnap, and that also has it linked to the, to the correct location. But right if you Google SandSnap, that's one word, and it's ArcGIS website. That's the easiest way to find it. We need an app. It's a good. It's a good website. I I have to say, and and uh, you, how to collect the samples. There's instructions. There's the data viewer. You can look at samples around the world, around the U.S. Uh, here's what I want to know, Brian. Why the hell does grain size matter, and why are you spending all this energy trying to figure out how to collect the information? That is a great question because we, we've kind of talked about here's what SandSnap is, and here's how to do it. But, but we really haven't talked about why is this extremely important. Yeah. Um, fundamentally, if you think about uh, our, our coastlines, they're really a data-rich environment. We have all sorts of bathymetry information from airborne LIDAR, and we have shoreline position from aerial photographs. We have all sorts of information about the waves and tides uh, acting on our, uh, our beaches from you know, hindcast and uh, wave buoys, tidal gauges, things like that. So we have a really good understanding of this is what the beach shape is. Here's the forcing acting on it, but there's no nationwide beach grand size database to understand what the beach is actually made out of. And that's a pretty huge knowledge gap. And the, the ways that you could use this data after it's actually uh, assembled, I mean, you can use it to, um, you can use it to better quantify your uh, storm resilience or your uh, vulnerability indices. There have been several indices that have been developed over the last five or so years that have talked about how resilient or uh, vulnerable certain uh, beaches are. But most of them, they, they don't, well, none of them explicitly have grain size. And I think the, the reason that they don't have it is because there isn't a nationwide beach grain size database. I've talked to some folks that have developed these indices and they say, well, it's kind of it's implicitly included by incorporating the, the beach slope. So by incorporating hmm. the beach slope, which is dependent on the grain size, it's kind of implicitly in there, but nobody's explicitly incorporating that. And I think that's a really a major reason. Uh, the major reason for that is because there isn't a, a nationwide beach grain size database. Huh. And there, there's all sorts of other things. For the Corps of Engineers, you know, we have two major uh, business lines are is the flood risk management business line. And then there's also our navigation business line. So for the navigation business line, we're always looking for ways to beneficially use this dredge sediment that we're pulling out of our channel. Yes. And before you place that sediment in the near shore or on a beach, lots of places require uh, proof that, that you're within, uh, you're matching what's similar to what's on the beach. And right. we all know that if you go to that beach and you take a, a sand sample and you go to that exact same spot three months later, your grain size changes. So by engaging the public, we'll be able to really capture the spatial and temporal uh, gradation variation on our beaches, which would give us a larger range to potentially beneficially use more dredge sediment, 
which allows us to save millions of dollars in tax dollars. Now, that's cool. See, Shelly, what a great idea you had. Good email. Very good email that you wrote yeah. back <laughs> at the beginning. Uh, one yeah, hell of an email. Grain, grain size is, is really an important characteristic in the performance of uh, beach restoration projects. It, uh, talks, it, it, it tells us how the beach is expected to perform under certain wave conditions. Um, Shelly, uh, let's talk about the accuracy of the information you're collecting uh, using this deep learning neural network technique uh, to evaluate the photography um, and to extract the grain size data from the photographs. Um, how accurate is it? You've got field test ground truthing information out there. What are you finding out? How's the system working? Yeah, so accuracy, you know, that is really important because if we want people to use this data, they have to understand what the accuracy is. So that's always a concern of ours. Um, Brian, you want to talk more about how we've been checking the accuracy? Sure. So right now, because, uh, because I know if I ever use a, a new tool twice and it doesn't work, I will never use it again. So right now mm -hmm. we, we kind of have our, our filter set to accept uh, – most images, whether they're blurry, whether there's a shadow. And, uh, and the reason that we were doing that is so that every image that comes in, nothing is ever wasted on SandSnap. We take it and maybe it might even produce a response to the user saying, here's your grain size, but it may not actually make it all the way to the database. And we do that so that way we can incorporate as many uh, images as possible. And it allows us an opportunity because even if an image is blurry in one section, there may be areas where it's not blurry. And we may be able to run some pre-processing codes to, to accept more images. So we're still, we're constantly tweaking and improving our technique. When it comes to the, the deep learning model that actually decides this is the, the, the number of pixels for each grain size, our error is less than uh, 15%. <laughs> but then that doesn't account for uh, any potential errors that may come from blurriness that we may have let slip through or from the, uh, we also have another deep learning neural network that identifies here's where the coin is. So we're, we're still in the process of fully quantifying exactly how much error we're getting. And we don't expect it to, uh, it's not it's not a stagnant number. We can say, oh, we're getting less than 30% error. We, we expect it to continually improve, improve and get, and get better and better as we refine our techniques. But in general, uh, Soulsby 97 in, in the kind of big hallmark uh, textbook of dynamics of marine sands, he, he notes that grain size, when it comes to numerical modeling, actually has the most uncertainty of any of the other processes. <clears throat> and he estimated that the uncertainty affiliated with grain size is 20%. So we've kind of used that that 20% threshold is we want to try and keep it under 20%. And that's kind of our, our goal and our objective and we're a little bit higher in some places, in some places we're lower. So we don't have a, a firm number on that yet, but we are constantly tweaking and improving. And it's something that's, uh, that's an ongoing process. And hey, Brian, it... we could also talk a little bit about the project that we have at Fire Island National Seashore too. Go um, ahead. You know, because we're always trying, you know, Brian has talked a little bit, like we have two sources of error here, right? Um, from the algorithm, but also from people collecting data. And was it collected accurately were they too far from the sand you know was somebody flip-flop in the sand right so there's how things are collected and then there's actually the algorithm um, so we've partnered up with fire island national seashore and the new york sea grant and we're going to be putting a station out there 
that has a coast snap sign and mm. a sand snap sign. So I don't know if your listeners are familiar with coast snap, but um, it's, it has a lot of similarities to sand snap in that we're using images to collect data. But what they have is a cradle that you actually place your phone in and right. take a picture. So they're trying to document changes in the shoreline. Yep. I am familiar and with so this prequel The program. Sea Grant is doing that. And they thought it would be neat to have two signs together, one for Sand Snap and one for Coast Snap. Um, and so generally, Sand Snap is mobile, right? It We don't need a station anywhere. So it's wherever a person happens to have their phone and decides to take a picture. But one of the things we're hoping is that if we have this sign on this boardwalk in Fire Island, people will walk to the end of the boardwalk and maybe be curious enough to take a picture. At the same time, we would be collecting physical samples. So we would know what the real grain size should be. Um, and then we can compare the information we're getting from the visitors to the park, um, collecting the data and what we think it really ought to be. So I think that will be help us over the next year to really get a better hold on um, you know, what type of pictures are people submitting? And I'm thinking about general public, not professionals. I think as coastal professionals, there's some things we just sort of know instinctly that it, are so ingrained in us, it's hard for us to write them down because we forgot when we ever learned it, right? Mm -hmm. Like, yeah. we would just automatically go to the beach and if there was seaweed, we'd move seaweed out of the way, you know? Um, we wouldn't, Things like that, that maybe the general public might not be aware of, but by putting the sign and having the same pictures taken at the same location over and over again by general public, um, maybe we can identify those and again, help to improve some of the accuracy there. Well, and also I've just got to say, uh, one, first of all, what y'all need is our audience. Ladies and gentlemen, this <laughs> is right, our maybe. jam. You're, we're going to love this because this is like we're already nerdy about the ocean and coast. Now we have the citizen science tool that we can go out and like chart new places that have not yet been sampled yeah. and do the we thing. We really need an army of beach nerds. I know. We need a, we need yeah. because that's the see, it's an interesting transition. That's, that's the ASPN listenership. I, I think they're beach nerds, I, generally speaking. I think there's no question. But it's an interesting transition, you know. Um, there was a time, I think, when like really excellent data collection, you know, was sample by sample, and the the diligence and you know precision of the scientists of the sampler was really critical. And now it seems with the direction we're going is massive collections of data, and those errors kind of get rounded off into the margins with just the the bulk of it. So we do need an army. We need an army of imperfect but diligent coastal scientists <laughs> who will go around, you know, citizen scientists who will go around and do this work. And I'll tell you the way to do it right, to avoid the seaweed problem, is to look at a sample, an example photograph before you do your own. Yeah. Just look at one that's nicely done. It's not that complicated. You on look, the website. On the website. There's, yeah. a, there's 600 and how many, Peter? I think 603. 603rd sample came in just, the, uh, just yesterday, I think. Yeah, last night. Last night. So I'm telling you, you look at some of that other work, and you'll, you'll see it's not. Do that. It's really. So ladies and gentlemen, get out there. And let's, I think this is really cool, uh, not only because you have, have the opportunity to contribute to the system, which is wonderful, but you'll learn. I mean, 
as a nerd, just to know what grain yeah. you're, you know, kicking it on. Great public education campaign. I love it. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. So speaking of outreach and, and an, an army of folks going out to the beach for us, we, we plan to be at the uh, American Shore and Beach Preservation Association Conference. Uh, we, we've presented on this topic the last couple of years there, but we're actually going to have a booth there with sand, and we're going to allow people to actually take a sample and, and actually do one there in the booth so they get experience doing it. And we're going to send them back with a, a physical baggie so that way they can mail us uh, the, the physical sample back so we can do Ooh. additional training. So we're going to hopefully create a small army in that regard. But in addition to that, the California Shore and Beach Preservation Association, they're leading uh, a group or, or an event called Snap the Sand. And it'll be two weeks after the, uh, after the ASBPA conference. And CSBPA, they've identified 24 AMBAS sand doors and they're, they're going to have t-shirts and everything <laughs> and these 24 and bass sand doors are going to yeah. lead small groups out to every like major beach in uh in california for the most part and these small groups are going to take sand snap samples in september and they want to do it again in the spring that way they can get uh, the different temporal changes and uh the, the ideas will learn from that and then potentially expand that snap the sand event into a, a more nationwide event in the future that is really cool. And we'll be at ASBP, I think, Tyler, hopefully. I hope so. It's, it's it's, in, I, I would hate to miss it. It's yeah. one of my favorites. Yeah. It's going to be good out in California in September, I think it is. That's year. right. Long Beach. <clears throat> in Long Beach. Mm-hmm. Uh, and another big outreach event we're doing, or that, that we've uh, been promoting, that actually Shelly created were these uh, library discovery bags. And Shelly, would you like to, to give a few more details about the library bags and what event, uh, activities are involved in them and how people can get them? Sure. Yeah. Um, You know, outreach has always been an important component of this because, again, that's where we're getting our samples from. But really, I mean, it's more than just getting samples. Um, You know, most, you know, Brian and I, we're scientists. We love science. Right. And a lot of your listeners are, too. But, you know, we know that a lot of the students coming out of school are they tend to be turned off of science. And it's amazing because science is really cool. Yeah. Um, and I think one of the things we need to emphasize to them is being the students is science is really a process, right? It's not about um, memorizing facts, right? Sometimes we have to memorize some facts because it helps us figure out what's going on, right? But none of us are really excited about memorizing the density of quartz. That doesn't help us. But, you know, it's kind of like solving a mystery. You need all these little clues. So I think as we can include more people in part of this process by collecting the data, um, we can help them understand how scientific knowledge is built, right? And that's going to help us. Um, But if you think about the timeline about this, uh, we were ready to really start up things and share this tool in the winter of 2020. Um, and so actually it was March of 2020. I was in a meeting with the Girl Scouts on Long Island and the Sea Grant people. And we were trying to figure out what kind of event we were going to plan that summer. At the same time, wondering how long schools would be shut because of COVID. So, you know, we obviously realized um, about May, there was no way we were going to host an event for right. multiple kids um, in the middle of COVID. So we had to really th- rethink some of our outreach. And one of the ideas we came up with um, were library bags. So we couldn't bring 
a large group of kids together, but we set up these bags and we gave them to libraries so that they could be checked out just like a library book. Um, They're really big bags. Uh, They're actually anchor bags. And inside of them, we have some real simple tools that coastal geologists use. So we have a set of sieves in there. We have a hand lens so they can look at the um, minerals of the different types of sand. Uh, We also have some sand samples from different places. So I put some sand samples in these bags. One was from Chesapeake Bay. Uh, One was from Long Island. And actually one was from White Sands um, National Monument which is not coastal, but it's, it's a good, yeah. um, different sand. It really shows different sand colors. So the people taking out the bags could look at the mineralogy, um, a large graduated beaker so that they could shake up the sand and see how quickly the larger grains fall, fell out of that. Um, but we put those in, then, um, along with that, we left the instructions. There was a booklet so they could look at how to actually take a sample. So, those were up in Long Island for a while, and now they have moved down to Alabama. So, again, if anybody listening is interested or think they have a, a nature center or a library that might be interested in these bags, we are looking for new places to send them because the more places we get them near the coastline, um, the more samples we get, too. How fun. What a cool idea. So you you go to the library or the nature center that's on the coast and you check out the bag. It's got all the stuff in it. Tyler, this yeah. is, <laughs> you know, Shelly's a geologist. You got to get the people being like, let's get some little geologists going. This is what it is. I, I mean, the, the sieve, the hand lens, all of the equipment mm-hmm. is really like basic geological in- tools mm-hmm. of the trade and getting people educated about what sand is all about and what geology is all about. It's of course, we need a better educated public to deal with complicated scientific issues like, I don't know, climate change. you got to have some basic understanding of the scientific process. So, yeah, and, cool stuff. And we've become so, uh, you know, elevated and precise and, I'm going to say, focused in our, in our silos, as we like to say, that particularly for a, a young person coming up who might be suffering through memorizing, I don't know, uh, the, your, your chemistry, <laughs> you know, valence electrons or whatever, you might say, like, how the hell? But what it is, it's about establishing that curiosity to, want to, to ask, why, is, why are things happening? And that can be started literally at any point yeah, in life. And it. so it's just a great citizen science tool to bring people, particularly out to the beach. I mean, what a win-win. Yeah. You're out the beach, ladies come on. and gentlemen. I mean, come yeah. on. Take Who doesn't want to do this? This is the best field work uh, imaginable. Quarter. Now, I do have to ask, Brian, and I'm going to say Dr. McFall here, take me Uh-oh. take me into the classroom. <laughs> um, uh, I'm looking at the website. I'm looking at the, I believe, grain sizes, and this is categorized as D10 millimeter, D16 millimeter, D20. What does that mean? What are these? How, how, how do I interpret this data on the website? So all that data that, that you're looking at there, that would be the gradation. So that would the D50 would obviously be the median grain size that most folks are familiar with. But there are, before we decided on exactly what gradation sizes we wanted to show, we first went back to all the coastal engineering equations that we could find. And we talked to every coastal engineer we could uh, talk to because we could train that deep learning neural network on, 
almost any uh, almost any grain size uh, gradation parameter. So we wanted to make sure that we had all the basic parameters. We had to kind of omit anything smaller than the 10% and anything larger than the 90% because when you're trying to get a representative sample, sometimes the tails of those uh, Gaussian distributions can, can be actually quite tricky and hard to predict. So we, we omitted that, but basically every relevant gradation parameter between D10 to D90, we went ahead and included and train the model on. So we have D10, D16, I think D25, mm-hmm. D50, D75, all the way up to D90. And by doing all these different gradations, now you can actually apply it for certain models that are that that gradation is actually really important. Uh, one example of when it could be extremely important is uh, when you're doing aeolian sediment transport or the windblown wind, transport. Wind mm-hmm. And uh, there was a colleague here at, at Erdic that uh, he just went on SandSnap, downloaded all the data that, that that had been collected, and he just started processing and compared how was the aeolian transport change if you use the D50 versus the full gradation. And he, he used his model, and he showed that, that how relevant actually having the total gradation information really is for modeling dune growth and things of that nature that, that would be transported by aeolian techniques. So I think it's really interesting that, that we're able to produce more than just a, here's a D50, and we're able to produce it. And the, the ideas and, and that people and researchers have talked to me about, hey, could we use it for this? Can we use it for that? Could we, could we improve the depth of closure equations to include sediment? Absolutely. <laughs> the, the, the ideas that you could use this data set for uh, are well beyond all the ideas that I've come up with. So it's really exciting that, that we can produce the full gradation range and the, the different techniques that it can be used for is pretty exciting. Okay, so we're going to have to do some education here. And I need this. And, and I think a lot of the folks in the audience, when we say these terms that that roll off the tongue so easily, the, the D50. Gradient. Yes. The we're d- talking about... Are we talking about like a bell curve of uh, the sample? Okay, yeah. So, so like D10, that would mean that that is uh, that 90% of the grains would actually be larger than what that grain diameter is there. And then the D25, that would mean that 75% of the grains in the sample were actually larger than that one. And then once you get to the medium, the D50, that's basically half the samples, uh, grain sizes would be larger and half would be smaller. What does D stand for? Large, uh, diameter. Oh, okay. Okay. And it's, so it's in like percent, It's like percentiles. It immediately knows that. Yeah. So D10 millimeters means uh, the diameter of the sand is 10 millimeters in size. D10 doesn't mean it's 10 millimeters. That's, it, it means it's the 10th percentile. I see. Okay. Then, so in this one, which is from Puerto Rico, Playa Via Pasquera, I think, in Puerto Rico, the D10 number is 0.325. The D10 millimeters is 0.325. Tell me what that means. How do, if I'm a member of the public and I'm looking at this damn website, what does that mean? Tell me what that means. So that means that it is the 10th percentile for the total uh, grains that, that were measured. So okay. that means 10% of the uh, grain size of grain samples they would be smaller than that, and 90% would be larger than that. I get that. it. So this says 0.325 millimeters is the D10. Uh, mm-hmm. That means 10% of all of the sand grains in the photograph are less than that size, or that si- up to that size, right? Correct. Okay. And so the, 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 the thing that I remember when I was permitting coastal projects in Texas and working on beach projects in Florida is there's three components of comparability when you're saying the sand has to generally match the native beach. It's always about grain size, 
and color and composition, and composition referring to the substance that makes up the sands, whether it's granite or quartz or whatever it is. Um, can you tell from these photographs, you're focusing on grain size, but clearly, mm, can you make any judgments or do you attempt to make any judgments as to color and composition? So others have asked that. They said, can you determine Munsell color from these images? Yeah. And there's a potential to do that. We haven't really dug into that. We're really focusing purely on the grain size component. Uh, Munsell color, depending on the, the lighting and things like that, could, could be a little bit trickier but you should be able to at least qualitatively get an approximation of the Munsell color from it. Um, that's one of the ideas that, that I'm more than happy to, yeah, anyone can download all the images. Anyone can download all the uh, gradation information. So all this, everything that's being uploaded is freely available to the public. And I know a lot of researchers that have kind of brought up ideas like that to actually let's dig into it and let's actually see what the Munsell color is and how that changes over time. And this could be really interesting, particularly if you're someone's taking sand snap samples uh, in an area where it hasn't been nourished, but there was an updrift nourishment and to capture when that nourishment sand actually comes down and impacts other beaches. Uh, so there, there's a lot of really fun ideas that you can do, and you can potentially use it for months of color, but we're really locked in on trying to get the gradation and making sure that we get that accuracy first. Okay. Well, it it's such a cool program. I'm wondering, Tyler, like, Around the American shoreline, all of these city staff people that we that listen to this show, uh, and the coastal engineers are out there, and the scientists that 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 read it, Coastal News Today and ASPN, uh, this needs to become part of your regular routine. When you go to the beach, you need to do a sand snap uh, sample and upload it because we all ought to be doing this. It's it's straightforward. It's simple, and the and the and the the accuracy of the system gets better with more and more data under this neural network, uh, you know, artificial intelligence analysis these guys are doing. We just need more stuff. It's it's true, and uh, I think it's really fun. It's fun for the family. I yeah. mean, I'm reminded of some other, you know, conversations that we've had on on this year' program um, with uh, the Nerdle Patrol, yeah. which has a, uh, an online submission thing, engaging people to track little Nerdle plastic pellets on beaches. Yeah. Um, we've talked about how data is changing and I think there's really a whole, you know, the, obviously it's hugely important on the American shoreline to understand as much as we can about the physics. I mean, we're, this is just the physical particle size that we're trying to understand here. And I just think the more participants we can get in this program, the more potential it will have to not only answer the grain question, of course, but also there's the potential down the road for, you know, maybe adding some sort of color uh, component, maybe, maybe mineral, I don't know, but it's really up to the volume of the data. Yeah. You know, that's how you study this stuff is by collecting yeah. a lot of data. And so I love the idea of the partnerships. Uh, Shelly, the idea of working with the Girl Scouts and Fire Island, <clears throat> I think is incredible. And I'm just thinking about schools. I think that this, what a great field trip. I mean, yeah. You know, you you don't have this is not uh, this is not something that requires uh, a college degree per se to do. This yeah. is something that that grandma could take uh, your, her grandson out and and do and find it very interesting as well. So, I love it. I think everyone should do it. Yeah, you know, we have been working um, just this summer. We have a James Madison student working on this along with a K twelve teacher. 
and we are developing um, some ideas for science projects as well as lesson plans. Um, and it's been really important for us to reach out to the K-12 community because we really wanna make resources that are usable. Um, and the teacher we've been working with has really given us some really good insights about what are gonna be barriers to the students um, and you know how can we address those barriers. So we're hoping along with this, um, you know, over, within the next six months, we will be able to publish some of that to try to encourage the K-12 community to use this data also. Right. Uh, Brian, the Corps of Engineers uh, is the, the, the leading institution in America on coastal uh, restoration, shoreline uh, management, beach nourishment in particular. The Corps moves millions of cubic yards of sand around, either taking it out of channels or putting it on beaches or in marshes. Uh, there has to be a tremendous amount of information in the core operations and planning divisions. Um, are your friends at the Corps of Engineers uh, willing and able to extract all of the data that the Corps is collecting and, and sort of integrated it into SandSnap? Or what's, how's, how's this working internally at the Corps of Engineers? So internally, we're, we're kind of running SandSnap independent because we're, we're, we're collecting it in its own special way and we're constantly improving and uh, improving our technique and improving our accuracy and robustness. So right now we're still kind of in the preliminary phase where they're kind of, let's wait and see how, how well SandSnap takes off, how many data points we collect, where we're actually getting them. And the idea is actually to incorporate the SandSnap data, data into the core databases that, that other districts may use. Okay. So we intend to in, use it more in the future. And I have several different districts that are out collecting physical samples and, uh, and snap, snap images for us. That way we can include their particular beaches in our training data set to theoretically improve the accuracy on their site. Well, I hope they do. Uh, it makes you know, ever, ever cautious, the Corps of Engineers. They take things very carefully. Yeah, They're they don't have a reputation for being, you know, <laughs> impulsive. Yeah, <laughs> would not be a word I would use to no. describe the core. No. Well, well like... even just engaging citizen scientists and actually having good PR and actually, uh, <laughs> yeah. this this it's a whole new concept for us. So we're kind of really starting from scratch. And, and I awesome. before we really got deep into this outreach, I started looking into what are other citizen scientist programs doing. How are they uh, engaging folks? What is the most successful technique? And a lot of the citizen scientist projects are really trying to engage the younger generation. They yep. say that if you can engage the kid to ask the parent to go to the beach, they're more likely to actually collect a sample. So a lot of the, the outreach that we've been doing, whether it's with the Girl Scouts, with these library discovery bags, we've been really targeting lots of children. And when we deployed these library discovery bags down in uh, Gulf Shores, Alabama, we asked the, the library, you know, how, could we potentially give like a little speech about here's the beach and why it's exciting and things like that. And they said, yeah, yeah, come on down and you can give a talk. We'll have, uh, you know, maybe a hundred kids or so from the, the day camp and stuff and you can talk about it. And then they'll know that these discovery bags are there. And we, we, we went down there and we, we gave our, you know, most exciting talk we could potentially give because we had little wave basins and we allowed the, the children to split into teams and understand, you know, which waves were going to uh, cause more erosion with fine sand versus really coarse shell. And we, we made a really fun uh, and energetic pitch about sand snap and why it was useful. And we handed out, we have water bottle stickers that have a QR code that anyone could 
click on it to immediately take them to the website to make it easier for people. Yeah, there to we build. go. That's a good idea. That's a good idea. So we distributed those, and we had these neat little pins that was basically the SandSnap logo, but it said SandSnap scientists take action. Cool. And the we, all the kids got to put the little pins on, and they they, they were really motivated to go uh, take SandSnap samples for us. And we knew that we needed to make our presentation really high energy because they said, so you're going to talk for 15 to 20 minutes beforehand. <laughs> and we're like, okay, great. And we mentioned that we were going to bring our, uh, the deputy commander for the Mobile District was going to be down there, you know, in his full military uniform, <laughs> handing off officially the bags and things. And we engaged him in our presentation. But after our quick 15 to 20 minute talk, they said, okay, after you is going to be a unicyclist juggler. And you can either go before or after him. We said, no, no, we want to He's go juggling before juggling bags of sure. sand of different grain sizes. There you go. You got to yeah. put it all no, together. No, he had machetes. He had machetes <laughs> on, on the unicyclist. So uh, we, we did our best to compete with his level of energy. But uh, we definitely did uh, reach a lot of children that, that may not have uh, known about these discovery bags that are there. And hopefully it's a great opportunity for a parent to grab the bag and go straight to the beach without yeah. even having to pack Random well, stuff so up. many, you know, our good friend Jace Tunnel, Tyler, down at, he's the director of the Mission Aransas National Estuarine Research Reserve uh, on the Texas coast, and it's the guy who came up with the Nurdle Patrol, and uh, I don't know if you've talked to Jace Tunnel, but uh, the Nurdle Patrol Citizen Science Program that Tyler mentioned, uh, where they're collecting and counting tiny plastic pellets, these are manufactured pellets that are used as feedstock for the production of all kinds of plastic stuff that we use. And uh, it starts out as a nurdle. And these guys go out and take and collect them and put them in a bag and count them and do the same thing. And Jace's program is incredibly large now. And it's well-funded. And uh, it does give people something to do at the beach, particularly with children, to learn. It seems like what ought to happen here, I'm just going to make a shout-out to Jace Tunnel. Jace, get your just integrate uh, sand snap into the collection stuff that you're doing with the Nurdle Patrol. Because as people are out there counting nurdles on the beach, they can also do a sand snap. And uh, he's got a good foothold. I hope you have a chance to talk to him if you haven't already. Have you guys reached out to Jace? No, not yet. But I definitely would love to engage with him. Yeah. Okay, Jace, if you're listening to this, Call Brian. Y'all need to work together. This could be a really good one-two punch on these two programs. I love both of these citizen science initiatives. Uh, well, uh, Shelley, where does it go from here? How long is it? How long has uh, SandSnap been operating uh, from a public, uh, you know, the database? And where do you want to take it from here? Yeah. So, Brian, you might have to correct me on this, but we got our website up and running late last year. And I think that was, is that the right timeline, Brian? It was. We, we had something operational by uh, ASBPA, but it, it still had lots of glitches. And we were fully functional shortly after the ASBPA conference last year. Okay. so we're in. The yeah, and year. I think that was a big step for us because getting people to use this, it's really about ease of use, right? Because we want it to be easy and we want it to be accurate. Those are really the two goals. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think where we go from here, we keep collecting data. That's number one. Um, but to keep people motivated, um, that's where we have to work on bringing in different groups that may not have always been engaged in science. And so, you know, I think we're starting on this path already by working with the K-12 teachers. Um, you know, 
in the past, we have worked with Girl Scouts and the Girl Scouts are really energetic about STEM and they're also energetic about working outside. So I think that's a great group for us to work with. But as we start to collect more and more data and it becomes more robust, I think now we have to think about what are these applications? Um, you know, and I'm always looking into, you know, what are the potential outreach applications? Like how can students use this? Um, can we use this in an undergraduate classroom to do some sort of research project? Um, and I know Brian's often thinking about what are those engineering applications that we can use it for? Yeah. Sounds sounds really great, you guys. What a cool idea. And it's not just an idea now. It's an operating program of citizen science. Uh, and with an operating website, lots of information. Going I, to think, get, I think we should set a goal. Yeah? Right now, as of the time of this recording, there's 600 and something. I said, it says, says 603, I think. 603. And, yeah. I think that our ASPN listeners should get out to the beach. I think we should try to crack a thousand. Uh, easily. I think we should do it. A thousand, I would say, how about a thousand more samples into SandSnap before the ASBPA conference in Long Beach, California in September. That good would be goal. a good Let's goal. An done. additional 1,000. So all the listeners out there, this is really great. You should notify your schools and your kids. A lot of you live and work uh, in coastal areas. Uh, SandSnap, what a cool thing to do for the summer. Let's give Brian and Shelly a thousand new samples in the next couple of months would be, I think, why not? Right, you guys? That I think fantastic. you guys can do it. I love it. <laughs> uh, I really appreciate y'all's time. Brian, uh, closing thoughts on this incredibly cool project you guys have underway. It's so, so great to, to, to learn more about it. So I, I think the key thing that I want the, the listeners to take home is to, to go check out the web application. You can quickly find it on Google, SandSnap. Uh, SandSnap is one word, and you'll immediately see it uh, on there. We have instructions on how to take a SandSnap sample. There's all sorts of background information. There's also the table to download it. But it, it's actually a really quick tool that, that we hope uh, you just kind of incorporate into your, your beach trip visits. Very good. Uh, Dr. Whitmire, have final thoughts from you on this cool program you got going on? Yeah, I would say, um, you know, if you've made it this far in the program, I know you are a <laughs> true coastal nerd um, talk to people go out and share we live in these beautiful communities we share these values with all the people in our communities we want to protect them keep them safe um, but your listeners have a special role here in that they understand the science behind the regulations we make and how to preserve these areas so start talking to people so everybody ends up on the same page Awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, it is Dr. Brian McFall. He is a researcher at Erdic in Vicksburg, Mississippi, with the Army Corps of Engineers, as they call it, NERDIC. It's, all, it's where all the smart guys are at the Corps, and women, men and women, scientists and engineers. Uh, I love Erdic. It's such an important part of the Corps. And uh, Dr. Shelley Whitmire from James Madison University, and the originator, we must say. Credit, the architect. The architect, the original uh, architect of Sand snap. Appreciate your time. Thank you all. Have a great week. Singing while my mouth.